0: I want to start this morning by reading a few verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I am going to end this morning with these exact same verses. So hold your mental finger in that space, because we're going to come back to it at the very end. Before I say that, I want to also say, I've had some young people recently ask me about my weirdo Bible. I've had them ask, is your Bible really made out of the bags from the grocery store? And the answer is kind of. Because I've had this Bible since I was a teenager, and the cover started to like fall apart and deteriorate. So my amazing wife took it and she wrapped it in that like a grocery sack. And now it doesn't fall apart anymore. Now you may be asking yourself, Brett, Are you so poor that you cannot just buy another Bible? And the answer is no, I am not. In fact, there are people that will give you Bibles. I could go to a hotel right now and get a Bible out of the little drawer of the hotel room if I wanted and take it forever, and that would not be theft because they would want you to take it. No, the reason is is because I am used to this Bible. I know where everything is in it that I want to find. So if I want to find my favorite passage, like Ephesians chapter 3, I can almost feel my way to it and know exactly where those verses are and I have all the notes. And that's why I don't want to give up the Bible, because I don't want to start over. Now recently, I had someone say to me that they buy a brand new Bible in a brand new translation every year because they don't want to get in old rhythms. They want it to be fresh for them all the time. And I thought, what an interesting idea, but I have not given up my attachment to this particular piece of paper, this collection of paper here. So, if you've been wondering why I have this, there's your answer. Now, I'm gonna stop talking about it and read from it. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse nine. But the Lord said to me, this is Paul, Apostle Paul speaking, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, We didn't do it on purpose, but Trish and I have a little tradition that has gotten started between the two of us, and it started a couple of months ago. And the tradition is, is that once the day is over and we are settling into bed for the night and everything is over, about the last thing I say before we fall asleep is, well, we did it again. We survived another day of this. And that has sort of become a joke between the two of us, but it is sort of like a uh, exhausted battle cry at the end of the day that implies within it we are one step closer to this being over. We have checked another day off the prison sentence of coronavirus, or Rona, as the kids are calling it, or now I'm even seeing them call it Roe, the Roe. Right, so if you want to be cool and hip, call it the Roe, I guess. I am not that cool and hip. That is the last time I will utter that this morning. And essentially, the implication is we're one day closer. We don't know how long this will last, but as today ends, we are closer than we have ever been before from it being over. Now, I there is some need for that in our world right now because it is hard. It is difficult. But recently, I have been thinking that maybe that is the wrong mindset. That maybe what I'm bringing there is not exactly the best use of this moment. Because the question maybe is not, how can we invent a real life remote control with a fast forward button and just say, I think I'll just search fast forward through this. Now, it would probably be as inaccurate as every remote I have when I try to fast forward through something in Netflix and I'm like, I just want to go 30 seconds. Oh, I just went 30 minutes. Let's go back again. You know, it doesn't work. It never works right, right? You never can get to where you want to get anyway. However, have you been wishing that you had a fast forward button and you could just get past all this and just get to the end of it? I. Wish I had one. But the reality is that every story in history, in scripture, of some incredible, extraordinary, wonderful thing that has happened in the world happened because people did not hit the fast forward button. Nor did they hit the mute button. In fact, they turned up the volume even when everything was wrong and bad, they engaged. They went deep. They looked for God in the moment. They looked for the good, for the beautiful. And in finding it, they not only went deeper into what life is, but they went deeper into what their own life could be. Now that may sound... Crazy to you. That may sound like the exact opposite of what your heart is longing for right now. But my wife and I, speaking of Tricia, want to take the next two weeks and talk about that more. This week and next week, we're going to do something we've never done before. And I don't want to overhype things, I've been accused of overhyping things. But the hype is real on this. Because we're going to do something we've never done before. I'm going to speak this week, and Trisha's going to speak next week. It is going to be a two-lesson, two-week series. I'm calling it The Culp Family Double Whamily. See how I added the L to Whammy and see what it did? Now, I'm fairly certain my wife is not calling it that. But between me and you, that's what it's called. So deal with it. Now, I'm saying that to you, not my wife. I've never found that to be a good way to speak to my wife. If you know my wife, you know why. Now, I want to focus this morning on one story that I think in many ways expresses that both need and opportunity that we all have before us in this moment not to run away but to lean into this moment and find what is in it for us. It's a story that we've talked about before, and it's a story that takes a chapter and a half of a conversation between this guy and God, but we keep coming back to it, and it is such an iconic story because of the power within it for nearly every moment, like this one, in our lives. And it happens in Exodus chapter 3. And it starts this way. Now Moses. Now let's stop there. I know I only got two words in, but let's stop there. Moses was at, he was at this point about 80 years old in his life. He had grown up. He was the son of two Jewish people. But in the midst of their persecution and slavery, he was then given as a baby and grew up as Egyptian royalty. At that time, the Egyptians were the most powerful empire in the world. And so he was living not only in luxury, but at the height of power. He killed a man, though, in a moment of anger and had to run away. And then he lived in the wilderness as a shepherd for 40 years. That's a pretty big fall. But he has been living for 40 years as a shepherd. And even though I'm sure it was a difficult adjustment for him, now after 40 years, it's pretty normal. He wakes up in the morning, he moves the sheep around, finds pasture for them, finds water for them, takes care of them, goes home, kisses his wife, kisses his children, eats some food, does it again. There is a rhythm. It's pretty natural. Pretty normal for him at this point. Okay. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, it did not, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Now this would have been for a shepherd like Moses who was out in the desert where everything was so dry. He would have watched it for a little while because when a bush catches on fire, typically in the desert, it's all going up, man. It's going to spread through all the bramble because it's all dry out there, right? So he's sitting there waiting to see if he needs to raise the alarm, probably. But it doesn't spread. It doesn't go anywhere. And not only that, it never exhausts itself. So it's not burning down everything. It's just sitting, isolated, never ending, never moving, this crazy sort of fire, just sitting there. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. God's voice coming out from a a bush. Moses. Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals and get comfortable, for this is going to take a while. That's not what it says. It says, take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, in the old translations, the King James Version, translated in 1611, they loved to use the phrase, and he was sore afraid. That's not so, S-O, afraid. That is sore, S-O-R-E, sore afraid. That expression resonates with me right now. I've been feeling afraid so long I'm feeling sore. It's like a muscle that you work out for a while, and after a while, your muscles are sore from working it out. Because this has not just been a short term fear and anxiety. This has been going on for months, right? Have you been feeling it for months? Are your muscles sore, afraid? Verse 7 The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So, now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. After 40 years in the wilderness of routine and sameness, this moment changes everything. It changes everything. That's why there's a whole nother chapter of Moses arguing with God about it. Because Moses realizes, pretty quickly, because he's a smart guy, that this is a moment that I am being called to that will change everything forever. We talk about Abraham being called to leave his home and wander in the wilderness for his life. Moses did that twice! He left his home twice. He left his home once, got comfortable, and God said, time to go again. And from this point on, Moses never actually goes home again. Like, maybe he goes home to sleep for a night or two. But home is pretty much done because he spends the rest of his life in tents, on the move. But, But what a life it is. It's a life of watching plagues and Red Seas parted and miracles happen. It's a life of leading millions of God's people into a beautiful place and preparing them for a beautiful place, even though they are continuously blockheads in the process. It is an incredible mission that he is called to in this moment that changed everything changed everything. Now, I wish that change happened slowly and gradually over time. I like that kind of change. That sort of change is easier for me to deal with, just a little bit, just incremental. But the big moments, the great moments, never happen that way. I, I, you know, In education, they talk about stories and storytelling. And you probably were taught what I was taught as a kid, which is the model that Aristotle came up with of storytelling, that every story has three parts. Its structure is always a three-part structure. This is the interactive part. What's the first part of every great story? The beginning. And what's the second part? The middle. And what's the third part? The The end. Now, all of that is true. And it is also very boring. Because nobody that tells you a great story says, oh, I've got to tell you this story. Now, this is the beginning. Okay, now that happened. Now I'm going to tell you the middle. Okay, here's the middle. All right, you ready? Here comes the end. They don't do it that way, right? It's not the way a story is told. Dramatically. We don't actually tell stories that way. Even though we do. That's boring. As a storyteller, here's the three-part structure that I find more interesting and more accurate for the way great stories are told. There is normal. Then there's an explosion. Everything blows up. The normal stuff blows up. And the bigger it blows up, the better the story. The more we like it because the more drama there is in it the more excitement there is in it. Now, here's what happens, though, is that that character has to decide how they are going to respond to that explosion. And if they, part three, transform, it's a good story. If they won't transform, it's a tragedy, sad story. That's how tragedies end that the explosion happens, but the main character won't learn the lesson and change. And so they are doomed to die in the explosion. They die. But if, instead, they are willing to be transformed by the explosion, not only do they survive it, but they find that they are better, fuller, richer, happier, People that get the girl or get the guy at the end of the story, those are the stories that end with two people kissing at sunset, right? Because they have figured out what was for them in the explosion. And then the new life is better than the old one was. And they find themselves not destroyed in the explosion, but revealed. Revealed, more true, more deep, more beautiful, more rich. Like a phoenix who dies and from the ashes is reborn. Better, stronger, more durable, and even more themselves. Because so often it is that explosion that forces us to wipe away all of the things that were not so important, that really didn't matter so much. And yet, we were too stuck and complacent to realize all that needed to be burned away, that we were just kind of too comfortable to take and burn, throw into the fire the way it needed to be thrown into the fire. Moses was always a leader in his core. At the depth of who he was, he was always a person that could stand up and lead millions of people through adversity, tragedy, and difficulty. But it was a moment like this, a moment of fire, a moment of fear, that was the calling he needed to take a step. To take a step to move forward into what was more that God had for him. Now, I wish transformation didn't happen that way. If I was writing the script for great transformation, I would love it to happen while I'm sitting comfortably at the beach. And as I'm sitting comfortably at the beach, I hear soft voices growing. And I look over and see a children's choir singing next to me of children from all around the world wearing white, singing, I believe I can fly, in (laughs) harmony together. And then the angels would sing. They would come down from the sky. And in that moment of peace and relaxation, when everything felt good and right and comfortable, and I was so inspired by all of this beauty and greatness, I would say, you know what? I think I'll change. That's not how it happens. Transformation is a wrecking ball in the face. That's how it happens. That's how transformation comes. That's how progress comes. That's how change and development happens in our lives. It looks like a moment where you think you've got it all figured out. And you are on a righteous mission. And you are moving and riding down the road on that righteous mission, and all of a sudden, a light from heaven interrupts and blinds you. And the voice of God says, you are messing it all up. And I'm just going to blind you indefinitely and make you sit at this house until I'm ready for you to do something different. And you have to sit blind indefinitely until your vision and clarity comes again. Real change and transformation happens when you know you have made a righteous stand, when you have stood up for your values, for your beliefs. And as you stand in that place, knowing that you will be rewarded by God for that, You can feel the flames starting to singe you because they are about to throw you in a fiery furnace because you will not bow. You will not relent. And there is no clarity and no sense that there will be salvation, that you will be saved. Transformation comes. When you, in the, the prospect and pursuit of your own self preservation and protection, because life is tough and you got to take care of yourself. You find yourself out in the middle of the sea and a storm is raging, because you have been heading everywhere but Nineveh. Because you couldn't go to Nineveh, because Nineveh was not safe. You would die in Nineveh, and you knew it. So you got on a boat going the opposite way, and you are now on a boat and everyone is going to die, and you finally have the moment of clarity where you can unselfishly look at everyone else on the boat and say, just throw me in the water. This is my fault. Throw me in the water so you can live. And you're thrown in the water, not knowing what would happen next, whether you would live or die, whether you'd be saved or not saved whether this desire that you had to protect yourself would be rewarded or not. Great transformation comes when you've done everything right, and you've helped everyone you've met, and you've been an example of love, and peace, and kindness, and compassion. You've healed the sick, you've lifted up the blind, you have carried the burdens of others, and yet, They are mocking you and spitting on you, throwing rocks at you, breaking you. And they've got you up on a cross. And all alone, you're going to die. And that's it. That's how the story ends, in this horrible explosion of death and brutality, emptiness and bitterness and anger, frustration and greed and power grabbing and control grubbing. That, that is the space. That is the moment where great change comes. That is the moment where everything transforms. The moment when your face is covered in mud and you got cuts and you're bloody and sweating. And you've just twisted your ankle, but you realize there's at least six miles left in this marathon. And you're like, that's it. That's it. That's all I got. I got no more. It's the moment when everything about your world transforms. It's different. It's not what you wanted it to be. It's not what you planned. It is ugly and hard. And it happens in your professional life. It happens with your children. It happens with your money. It happens with your health. It's the moment when you're sitting at the doctor's office and he says the word cancer. It's the moment where you get the email and you realize this is not going to be a normal school year. It's the moment where you look at your bank balance and say, this is not trending the right way. It's the moment where a drunk driver runs into your house The moment where in the middle of a pandemic, you have to move. You don't want to move. It's the moment where you have twins and you realize this is not the way we planned to bring twins into the world. It's the moment where you got people living in your house and you've done it out of graciousness and compassion, but you do not know what's going to happen next. It's the moment where you feel alone and disconnected and afraid and everything is wrong. That is the moment. Do not press fast forward. Do not press mute. Take off your sandals, baby, because this is holy ground. This is a sacred space. This is the place where the magic happens. This is the way. This is how it has always happened. And this is how it will happen again. And so if, in this moment, you are feeling upside down, that everything is broken and ruined, and you're just saying to yourself, I'd like to just sit this one out. Can we just burn all the bridges and stay on our island? Well, maybe. But even in the midst of that, this is the moment to lean into the pain, lean into the frustration, Because the solution to your pain is within the pain. It's not in running away from it. And all these insecurities that you're feeling right now, they've been with you all the time. It's got nothing to do with the coronavirus. This was you all the time. This just put your face in it. This just made you see the things about yourself that you did not want to see, that you did not want to know that you did not want to believe. This forced Moses to say all the things and make all the excuses he had been making in the wilderness for 40 years about why he wasn't the guy and his life was ruined. This is the moment where you have to face yourself and say, do I want to continue to be this person? Do I want to continue to feel this way? Or will I do the things that are necessary for transformation? Will this explosion be the inspiration and motivation that I needed to finally move on, to finally be the person that God created me to be for always, but that I was afraid of seeing? This is a sacred space. Times of change are sacred spaces. And so if everything feels wrong, good good. I hate saying that. I don't want to say it. I don't like saying it. Because as soon as I walk off this stage, I have to live it. And five minutes after I'm out of this parking lot, it will not feel good to me anymore. Because as soon as I check my phone again, it'll all come at me again. But it's still true. It's still right. And in this moment of weakness and brokenness and fragileness that you feel, it is the crack in the wall God needs for the light to come in. Because that's how it's always happened. When we feel the weakest and the worst is the moment where we are willing to give God the chance and say, I can't. You can. I think I'll let you. I think I'll let you always in those times of change that we are open and look around for new solutions and new ideas. And this morning with you, I want to celebrate that that has happened to you right now. I don't want to sit in despair and wallow in it with you. I want to celebrate that right now, you take that ugliest thing in your world and know with certainty and clarity that is God's invitation to you. He is saying, you are on holy ground right now. And where you are afraid that it's all burning down and that this is a forest fire, it's not. It's a burning bush. It will not spread and will not quench and will not go out. It is not a fire burning down your life. It is the flame of God's power working within your soul and your spirit to burn away all the old stuff that was you and release within you something more, something better, something more beautiful that will lead you to places that you dream about but have no idea on your own how to get to. That is not what's coming later when this is over. That's here. Now, in this moment. In just a second, we're going to sing about it. And the band can come back up. And we'll really celebrate this moment together. Not cower in fear of it. But we will celebrate it together. And to align your heart in it, I want to read this passage again. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And as we read these words that Paul is saying, know that they weren't just written for a moment 2,000 years ago. They were written for this moment, this time, for your heart in this space. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. But the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong.